This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, we look back at AirVenture. All the fun, all the news. And we're going to delve into a couple of other stories, including GAMI, which received an unleaded gas STC starting with a lot of Cessnas. Airline hiring is way up. We'll talk about it. Speaking of up, we're going to take a look at the electricity in the air. All right, David, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, counterpack final 132.4. Turn right, With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Hey, welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, I have to say, you did pretty much all the work for this episode and for a, a lot of the stuff that people read online at AirVenture, you were, you were working hard there, including our guest, Jimmy Fordham, an aeroshell pilot. Yeah, I had a great time with Jimmy. You know, we're both from the South. He's from Louisiana and I'm from Atlanta, so we had a lot in common. But the aeroshell aerobatic team, Ian, they're out there performing, and it really is to drum up interest in, you know, in aviation for young people. So this is something that actually has a purpose, and I was lucky enough to go on a flight with him, and we did loops and rolls. It was just great. So we'll talk about that. Very cool. Okay. So that's good. You got to have a little bit of fun. You also, like we said, did a ton of work, including you did, you did a nice wrap-up story about the show, and the headline pretty much says it all. AirVenture dubbed a huge, huge success. So starting with the attendance, it, it was big. It wasn't quite as big as they've ever had it, Ian, but 608,000 aviators and aviation enthusiasts did flock to Whitman Regional Airport, and that includes myself and my flying buddy, Eric Blenderman, when we flew in in a Cessna 172. What, and I just want to talk about this real quick. The arrival, we touched on this at our last show. The arrival was all programmed via GPS. You had way, uh, VFR waypoints, and Jack Pelton did talk about that and said what a huge success it was and how orderly it kept things as people arrived. And you could, you could if you have ADSB on your aircraft or if you're watching from home on four flight, you could just see the conga line. It was truly fascinating. That's, that's really cool. So amazingly, they, the estimate was 16 to 17,000 airplanes did that conga line over the week. They had that many on the grounds. 
Jack said they didn't turn anybody away. I don't know that that's entirely accurate. I'm sure a lot of people probably saw that number on the on the on the ground and went to uh, Abeldon or Fond du Lac. Yes, but uh, it, you know it was interesting because the show didn't have a ton of news, let's say, but there were a lot of really cool things that came out of it. One is that they, you know, you mentioned young people right off the bat, and Boeing sponsored. I guess free admission, was it, for people under 18? Yeah, and Ian, this is actually something worth delving into for just a minute. Jack Pelton said that that was a huge success, you know, to get the young people going because why? They brought their parents and, or, the, or vice versa. And so, yeah, we saw a trickle over um, from that to the Career and Aviation Center, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. But Pelton vowed, to me personally, I asked him about this, he vowed that that he would do whatever it takes to continue to get young people into the show for free. So as long as he's the chairman of the board, he, he vowed to do that and to make it open for, for young people. And I think that the excitement showed. And there was just, there was like we said, <laughs> another story. There was electricity in the air. There really was for young people, too. Absolutely. That's cool. So, you know, one thing I think that a lot of people were anticipating was Steve Dixon's arrival, you know, the administrator for the FAA. We've talked on the show a few times about this LOTA that's going to be there that is being required for experimental and primary category and, and all the others, the instruction in those aircraft. And it was an interesting visit, I would say, because he was he was pretty candid Although it's a little frustrating because he was saying it's just as this whole process is just as frustrating for him as it is for the community. But I, you know, you think, man, you're the head of the organization. It's like, just change it. What gives? <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you. And I, I got to tell you that the uh, the funniest words I ever heard during the whole week of AirVenture, and, and I was all over the place, was Dixon saying, well, Loda is a four-letter word. <laughs> And so, you know, that's, uh, that pretty much summed it up. And he wasn't happy about it. Uh, but the, Loda, just to you know, reinforce for our listeners, we've been talking about this for a couple of months. It's a letter of deviation authority. And it has everything to do with training in ex- experimental aircraft, warbirds, and some other aircraft as well. And so it's a big hassle for folks because of the way that this the interpretation came down. So Dixon, you know, he's not a GA pilot, and Jack Pelton mentioned that as well. And so uh, Jack said that that Dixon has a lot of education yet in his future, although they did tour the show together, and uh, Steve Dixon did comment favorably upon a lot of the innovation that we see at AirVenture, which is a hallmark of that show. And, you know, everything from from glass panels to we were going to talk a little bit more about aviation fuels uh, in a little bit uh, and along the whole gamut of aviation. I think that did impress uh, Dixon. And he has a better understanding of 608,000 people, you know, that are into GA, you know, that week. So he was slightly educated, but Pelton was, you know, and Dixon threw out an olive branch to, to Jack Pelton and everyone else, but Jack was not as kind to Dixon. He said basically that he had uh, zero general aviation experience. And then, you know, AOPA was, is also, was and is also unhappy with that interpretation, that loaded interpretation. We've been fighting very hard. Uh, for a long time to get that turned around. That's right. So, hey, I want to also talk about, you know, the, the show had, a, from what I gather, a bit of a different feeling in that a lot of the events were canceled or scaled way back. One of those is Women Venture. This is something that 
you know, a lot of female pilots look forward to. They get together. They take this massive photo. They're all wearing the same shirts. Really, there's a big impact there, I think. So they canceled the photo. But there were some things that happened, including, I guess, somebody else lucky rode with Aeroshell. Is that right? Yeah, Ian. I went over uh, early in the morning to visit with our Phillips 66 Aerostar folks. A little shout out to Paul Rocket Hornick, who's been on Hangar Talk before and gave me a ride some years ago when they had different aircraft. But, you know, they fly the extra 330 aircraft this time. And Kim Kish, who is a corporate pilot, she normally flies a, a Gulfstream. She went, she went up on a, on a women's flight with Rochelle Spector. Rochelle is uh, from iHeart Flying, and Rochelle actually has been on our Hangar Talk before. She was a very good guest. And Lindsay Costable, who is another very helpful person that we found during the Arsenal of Democracy. Well, the three of them were the guests of the uh, Aerostar team, and they did a little bit of uh, looping and rolling and wingovers and stuff like that. But, Ian, it was to highlight the role of women on a day that, like you said, we would normally have a ginormous group photo on hmm. Boeing Plaza, you know, Boeing Square yeah. there. And yeah, yeah. Be- because of COVID, the crowds were limited to less than 50 people, and they couldn't do that. Hmm. So Hornick and the gang took the, took the women up, and uh, Kim Kish, actually, she had a, a second control in her airplane. She had a stick, and she grabbed it and basically <laughs> helped uh, helped out on the loops and the rolls. When cool. she Yeah, when she landed, she said she, she was going to start taking aerobatic uh, flight lessons. And we do hope to have her um, on, on Hangar Talk in the future. She might be a future guest. I think she would bring a lot to the table. She's a bona fide, real deal corporate pilot, and she was a lot of fun. Also, and also just to to bring up, she did spend some time at the AOPA campus. Uh, We had a little thing called the 39 Lounge, and several influencers were there. So um, there was a good time to be had by all. Good, good, cool. So, you know, to me, the highlight is just sort of wandering, right? You wander the show, you get to see kind of what's new, what's different. Love seeing some of the antique stuff, vintage. Something that I think that a lot of people gravitated to this year was Scrappy. You wrote a really good story about this. Scrappy is, you know, Patey's new airplane. And people have been following it, of course, on YouTube and things. But but seeing it in the flesh must have been something else. And and it was a pretty big draw. Ian, that airplane by Mike Patey was ridiculous. I mean, in a good way, ridiculous. It's a, <laughs> It started out as a Carbon Cub uh, EX3 Bush airplane that, that you or I or any of our listeners could could buy. But, I mean, by the time he was done, he said he did a few modifications to it, quote-unquote, a few. But by the time he was done with it, I thought it was really interesting some of the technology that was deployed because I really think that it could have a trickle-down effect for, for those of us in the, in the you know, in the lesser-known airplane world. Mm-hmm. For instance, one thing that was super cool were these uh, dual shock absorbers on each landing gear leg. And it's a tail dragger aircraft. And it's a tail dragger aircraft. So, you know, the nose sits really high off the ground. So Mike Patey, who's a a, a designer and engineer, and if it doesn't work, I'll do it again kind of a guy, he kind of has a mashup between an IndyCar, motocross bike, and a lowrider where he could control the hydraulic lifts from left to right, from front to back of that aircraft. And I can tell you, when I got my tail dragger sign off, it was really hard to control a tail dragger because mm-hmm. I wasn't used to it. So, so, so Patey has designed a way to jack the tail up, put the nose down, and it's a little bit easier to see over the nose. Or 
you know, have the left wheel up, right wheel down, right wheel up, left wheel down, basically articulate it any way you can. And what I thought was cool about that is a, perhaps a future application for outreach work, for, for landing on unimproved strips on the side of mountains that might not be level from left to right, you know. And so I, I see that that is something that I would like to see manufacturers try to deploy it sometime. Hmm. That's cool. So, I mean, yeah, the, the struts are definitely, it's one of the first things you notice. It's, it's such a very cool idea. Another is the prop. I mean, it looks more like a boat propeller than it does an airplane propeller. This thing is, I mean, the cord on this thing is massive. They are. Four blade. Yes, four blade and it's super thick. Now, I, you know, I didn't watch a whole ton of his videos recently, and I probably should have done more homework. But I, I wish I knew more about that prop. That thing was just menacing looking. Yeah, it is. It really is. He's got leading edge slats, which drop down. The panel, now you you described it as something from like the Starship Enterprise. He, and I have no idea what he's going to do with all of them, but he has five screens. Yeah, that's crazy, man. In the front this... panel. I mean, it's like, what do you do with five <laughs> different screens? It's ridiculous. But, you know, I, I went flying last night. I, I did my flight review last night with uh, Captain Dave Hirschman. And we have a decently outfitted Cessna 172 with a couple of digital displays. And that was pl that was plenty and, in fact, overkill. In fact, at one point, Dave yeah. Dave covered up you know all of my readings because he wanted me to fly the airplane by the seat of my pants and figure out best glide by the, the, you know, the way the wing looked against the horizon, which is a great idea, and also by trim. But the point is, you don't need all that stuff. It's great to have a situational awareness. I'm never going to shy away from more situational awareness, but I know one or two screens I can dig, you know, three is pretty good in a jet. And now we're talking five yeah. in a super cub. I, I don't know. I Ian. know. It's crazy. <laughs> and I guess before we should, before we leave this, we should mention the engine. I mean, you know, it, obviously he, it's interesting. He started with a carbon fiber, you know, frame airplane and completely modified it to the point you can't even tell what it is anymore. But you know, obviously, there's some of these mods add some weight, but he certainly has up to the horsepower, 600 horsepower on this thing. It's insane. 600 horsepower on a carbon cub. I just can't even imagine that. I mean, it's like, you know, super stall airplane extraordinaire. I mean that thing's that thing's gonna basically leap into the stratosphere. You'll probably vie with the uh, with the private you know private astronaut you know private spaceship yeah, right. vertical you know, uh, expertise vertical that's going climbs. on there now. Yeah, just wild. But you know that's interesting. You're talking about uh, also you talked about the custom wing with a quote unquote a few alterations. The multiple moving leading edge devices that you mentioned, that's pretty cool, too. The drooped ailerons. I mean, all that stuff makes the airplane handle well going super slow. And, you know, when you look back at a lot of accidents and a lot of what we can do to improve, it, it has a lot to do with slow speed handling. So, yet again, maybe some of these innovations will, you know, will be more popular in, in regular production aircraft as well. So maybe maybe there's some crossover there. But I don't know about the 600 horsepower engine, though. Incredible, incredible stuff. Hey, let's move on. We want to talk about probably, I would say, what's, what's going to be the most consequential announcement over the long term. This came out after we recorded the last show, but it did happen at Oshkosh. GAMI, which is General Aviation Modifications, they're known, I would say, for most folks, mostly, you know, they do the injectors and they sort of, they were one of the ones that 
popularized the idea of lean of peak operations, they have been working on an unleaded avgas. So, you know, 100 low lead, let's call it, but without the lead, very important for the future. And they announced at the show that they have been awarded an STC for certain engines for this fuel. Yeah, we teased that at the top of the program, Ian. So certain Cessnas with your run-of-the-mill Lycomings are going to be good to go with the STC on this. And that is that is great news because there's no negative impact um, on safety in the community. They've actually done some studies on this. And uh, the unleaded avgas could basically be a drop-in replacement for 100 low lead. But let's point out, I want to point out one thing to folks. It's a teeny bit heavier than what we're used to. We're used to six pounds per gallon, and G100UL weighs about 6.2 pounds per gallon. Not a lot when you're talking about a 40-gallon or 50-gallon tank on a normal Cessna Skyhawk. 84 gallons in a, in a Piper Saratoga Cherokee 6 might be a little bit more to think about, you know, that but 0.2 times 80. Yeah. Um, but... But that's a real interesting thing. It's sort of a drop-in replacement for that what we call you know 100 low lead right now. Yeah, the drop-in part is is important, I think, because it allows mixing of of current fuel. So you know when you talk about like a transition step or you know supply and being able to get it from different sources, that is important. It also means you know airports ne- won't necessarily have to build new infrastructure, which again you know to be viable in the market needs to happen. To put this announcement in context a little bit, there there have been other fuels that have been approved for, you know, these kind of lower compression engines. You know, the Swift fuel, I think, has some STCs maybe in this area. But I think the, the reason the announcement matters is because people have, people know and, and I think expect that GAMI will come out with other STCs. And that's because they've been testing the fuel and other engines. So, you know, these low compression engines, they can obviously even run on car gas as long as it doesn't have ethanol. But the, the crux really for this fuel replacement has been these high compression engines, you know, the 520s, 550s, that sort of thing. Gammy says this fuel works for those engines. Now, th- I think they're probably a pretty long way off from getting an STC for it. So there's a lot to be, you know, a lot to sort of we'll see. But they say they've tested it under incredibly strenuous conditions and it works. There's no detonation. So if that is the case, and if they can get the SEC, it's potentially a huge step forward. Well, Ian, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Tell us a little bit about what, what detonation might do to an engine, uh, if you know, because that's something I've heard a lot about, and I know about you know managing a mixture and being real careful about, about that. Uh, you don't want pre-detonation, because I know that's really bad for an engine, but if you know more about that, let us yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, basically the idea is, well, so even though we say fuel, you know, some people will say, well, like, fuel explodes, but it doesn't. It burns, and it's, and it's supposed to be a controlled burn over time. Detonation is where it's just like, bang, it's done, you know, and, and it sort of explodes almost, let's call it, for lack of a better word. Obviously bad for the engine, creates a lot of internal pressure and, and can cause damage. So detonation is just a no-no under any circumstance. If it happens, you know, for a very short period and it's not sort of serious, maybe you're not going to have damage and you can, you know, inspect the engine and keep going. If it happens in any sort of significant way, you know, you're talking about replacing components and potentially failures. So it's just a, I mean, it's a non-starter. So it's been a concern with some of these lower octane fuels in these higher compression engines. But, you know, this is, it's 100 octane fuel. And so the reason that lead is in 100 low lead is to, you know, raise that octane level. So if they can have that higher octane without lead, you know, that's huge, huge worldwide. 
And the other thing that uh, impacts us as GA pilots, when we're talking about that um, basically 100 low lead fuel, there's really only one place where we can get the special additive that makes that fuel what it is. That's right. And it comes from overseas. It comes from uh, from England, if I'm not mistaken. And there are very few ships, you know, container ships that can take the additive over from there to the U.S., for instance. And so that all has to do with the supply line and how to get it involved uh, and integrated. And also, we should mention that this 100 low lead and the G100UL, you can, C-A-N, affirmatively mix those a little bit, where that is actually something that is another benefit for that G100 fuel. Yeah. And before we leave this, just one quick thing I want to talk about just to kind of clear things up a little bit. People, and I think maybe we've talked about on the show, the PATHI process, Piston Aviation Fuels Initiative. And this is the FAA's sort of, quote unquote, sanctioned process to help develop, support, and bring to market a 100 low lead replacement. GAMI chose early on to not go through the PATHI process. You know, the FAA didn't say you to get an STC, you're going to have to go through this. It just, you know, it allowed sort of a level playing field with all these different competitors. GAMI chose to go outside of this. They've now been awarded the STC. The PATHI process is ongoing. So there are other candidate fuels being researched, developed, that sort of thing. It's just that the PATHI process is also very, you know, to be able to come into it the companies had to agree to essentially complete secrecy and, you know, they weren't going to share trade secrets and we, we weren't going to have tons of announcements. And so for from the outside, it seems like nothing is happening. Um, and, and part of that is because that's by design. You know, the, the companies to be able to participate didn't want all this, this, you know, development news to be out there. So the PAFI process, like I said, is ongoing. We'll see what happens with that. But in the meantime... I think people are very interested to see what happens with GAMI because if they can get the STC on a broad range of engines, it's it's potentially a massive, massive change in the future. I like it. And, that, you know, that change in, uh, in, in, you know, dyno fuel is one thing, but there's other changes on the horizon in the electric world as well, which I guess we'll get to in just a minute. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So first, let's talk about airline hiring. You had a recent story. I thought that was really good. Uh, you know, with COVID, and we saw a bunch of layoffs, hiring freezes, people were given class dates, and then they were rescinded. I think there was a lot of concern that airline hiring was going to be down for a very long time. It turns out it has come back faster than anybody expected. It has, Ian. You know, the traveling public has an appetite to get in the air and get out and do stuff. We've all been at home for 13, 15, 17 months or so. And the airline world is is ramping back up. We all remember the pictures of all the airliners, you know, grounded, basically parked around the, uh, the country, you know, so they could be mothballed for a while. But yes, I did talk with JS Firm Executive Director Abby Hutter. I had lunch with her, and her daughter Katie was helping out at the careers and and uh, the careers booth over at EAA. They had a, a week long job fair this year that was heavily attended by young people, and the excitement was just—I mean, you you could feel it in the air. They were actually doing line dances and and doing sing-alongs and all that. The, 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 yeah, the mood was so light. Does the dance, if you win the dance contest, do you get a job? Is that how it works? I think you get like a free USB, uh, you know, fan oh, okay. or something like that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, but, you know, if you impress the recruiters enough, you can, to tell you the truth, recruiters were hiring people on the spot. There were 40 
40 aviation businesses there, and they were thrilled that people were coming up and basically knocking on their door, and the doors were wide open this time. So that is, I mean, when I say that you can feel the electricity and the excitement in the air, that's a change of pace from, you know, even a few months ago when we didn't really know what was going on. We were talking about, you know, having some logistics problems. We are having hiring freezes. People were um, getting let go. A lot of the younger programs, a lot of the you know, newer programs were, were put on ice for a while. But that's all coming back. Also, just want to mention that I talked with Lewis Smith from Future and Active Pilot Advisors. He's one of the go-to folks that we talk to. And he basically said that little by little, things are really moving in the right direction. And he, he confabbed with me and basically listed all the airlines that were hiring. And it's like every single one. There are just a few regional carriers that have not quite come back on board. And that might be because their routes have been pressured so much because of the lack of travel. But we expect that to change in the near future. But, I mean, for instance, United announced a return to 80% of their pre-pandemic flying capacity. That happened a couple months ago. You know, Delta cranked up their, their pilot hiring again. Southwest Airlines ramped up. There's just on and on. The numbers are looking pretty strong. Let me say one thing, though, that I was surprised about not seeing at AirVenture, and that was the Boeing pilot and technicians report, which is something that we we mainly rely on, not just us. We love to talk about that. But Ian, you know, colleges and universities rely on that report to kind of tailor some of their instruction. And not only that, but how many instructors they need to have on hand for folks that might be might be going down that pilot pathway. But there was a news conference that was supposed to happen on that first Monday. It got canceled. And I, I don't really know why. I've reached out to Boeing, and I hope to find out at some point what happened. But it could very well be in because they, they haven't got back on board with their manufacturing you know, because of the 737 MAX issues. And, and they aren't able to adequately predict how many aircraft they're going to sell. And so with that in mind, well, how many staff do we need to, you know, for, you know, for doing everything from maintenance to flying to, you know, to working in the, in the galleys? Yeah. Right. To cabin crew. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. You know, I, I recently, um, I wrote a story for flight training that'll come up in a future issue, our career issue coming up in the fall. And I've heard similar things. You know, I talked to ATP, the, the big academy flight school, and they've opened 10 locations this year. They've, you know, they recently ordered a hundred archers. They didn't slow down at all during, you know, I mean, I think some students probably, you know, put their training on hold a little bit, but ATP went full speed ahead, which, you know, your, your point was interesting that, you know, we say, obviously it's in a school's interest to say hiring is great, right? Because, you know, they want you as a student, but when they're putting money behind, you know, improvements, upgrades, more airplanes, more facilities, it shows that they think that, you know, it's going to pay off, right? So, so they believe it. They, they've been doing this since 1984. They've placed more instructors this summer than ever in airline jobs. That's a great, that's a huge success rate. I like hearing that. Yeah, it's amazing. Embry-Riddle, same thing. I talked to them. They have uh, record enrollment. They are out of ramp space. In fact, they're using like virtual reality and more simulation because they have no more place for airplanes, no more time for flight slots. I think he said something like, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, so don't quote me on this, but something like 700 new students are coming in, flight students. That's a big, that's a big class. It's huge. And he said... That's huge. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. They said that 
the regional airlines come to freshman orientation to recruit. Is that wild or what? Yeah. So you're coming in 18 years old and being recruited already. Anyone I talk to these days about aviation, you know, I tell them the same thing, and it really is true. It's a gospel. If I knew, you know, 20 years ago what I know now, I would have gone straight into aviation. It is a hot job market and will continue to be even with the innovation that we see on the electric front and all. But it's going to be hot, hot for the next uh, number of years. Even during the coronavirus uh, pandemic slowdown, we talked to several experts in the field. We talked to, to King Schools. We talked to other folks. And everyone has been pretty bullish on, on aviation ever since. And really, there it's just a, was a little bit of a hiccup, but not, not that much. And, uh, I mean, we look at that Boeing report, Ian, 763,000 pilots as well as 739,000 technicians were predicted for the 2039 report, the 20-year report, and 903,000 cabin crew members. I mean, that's more than 2 million personnel that need to get involved in aviation. That's just, it's just staggering. Absolutely. It is. Part of that mix, and we'll see how this fits in in the future, and you've teased this a few times, is electric. We want to just really quickly finish out the, the news portion of the show today, talking about a couple of things that, that happened. One is two flights actually at Oshkosh, two public flights, which is a big, big milestone, I think. And the other is this Pulitzer Trophy. This is something that hasn't happened since the 1920s, but they're trying to spur some innovation and some you know, PR, I think, towards electric innovation. And both of these things are, are, are coming up soon. Well, I was going to uh, let folks know that I think we were recording the podcast when California-based openers Black Fly flew, and uh, it flew on this. Now, the Black Fly is a single-person eVTOL. An ultralight. Something fun. It's an ultralight, basically, and it's little, um, but it's cool looking. But I, mean, I just don't know what the practical applications are unless it's scaled up dramatically. But the Volocopter made its public demonstration flight at AirVenture this year. It had previously flown. Now, this thing looks like a sort of a traditional helicopter, uh, sort of, but with a, a number of blades in small motor clusters above it. So it sort of looks like something we've already flown with a different twist. But both of those, they basically had dueling eVTOL flights. And it was good to see that, Ian, because a couple of years ago, we were supposed to have another eVTOL flight, and the wind was about four or five miles an hour, and, and it scrapped that flight. So, you know, as an aviator, you know that it's typical to have five to ten mile an hour I was going to so, say, that's like barely even makes the AWOS. So, right, right. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, but, so even here, so a normal day at Oshkosh, you're looking at 5, 10, maybe 15, you know, not yeah. wins. It. So it yeah. didn't hold, did not hold either of these uh, back. They both mm, flew. That was really cool. Yeah. Uh, Jim Moore wrote a neat story about it. And uh, I think we'll, you know, we'll see a little bit more about these companies in the future because I think it's their advances will, will lead to other advances. But, yeah. but you, you start talking about the Pulitzer Trophy I want to hear a little bit more about this, too. Yeah. So this is, you know, way back in the day, long before there was Reno, they, you know, they held these races to spur innovation. So back in the 20s, as you know, the pre-war period, as airplanes were being, you know, they were sort of built in the garage and they were trying to go from built in the garage to something, you know, to a sophisticated industry. Pulitzer, the I think it was the son of the, you know, everyone knows the prize for journalism. His son, who was also a publisher, actually started this Pulitzer Trophy. 
And the idea was to get essentially speed and endurance up in airplanes. And it went and it, it worked. I mean, in 1920, the winner flew a closed course at 157 miles an hour. So, you know, sort of what, maybe 182 speeds. And uh, five years later, it was up to 248 miles an hour. So pretty impressive. And we should say those those were pretty much military wins back in the day. It hasn't been run since the 20s, this, this Pulitzer, but they have revamped it now. They're going to bring it back. And next May, they're going to run it, but it's going to be an electric aircraft race. Electric aircraft race that's going to be a thousand mm-hmm. miles, mm-hmm. Ian. So, uh, so that's going to be kind of neat. And um, they're looking at um, maybe 25 different electric yeah, aircraft uh, coming yeah. into that race. And the whole point is to sort of show a little bit more about what you can do with innovation. Mm-hmm. It's going to start at Epley Field in Omaha, Nebraska, and end up at Mania, North Carolina's Dare County Regional Airport, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from First, first Flight, flight yep. Airport yep. on North Carolina. So that is kind of neat. And you mentioned it, Ralph Pulitzer, the son of Joseph Pulitzer, of the Pulitzer Prizes. And did you know that I have been nominated for Pulitzer Prizes before? I didn't before? know that, actually. Very cool. Yes, in photography. Yes, three three different times. So I did not win. Are you going to run bad. the Pulitzer? But, uh, are you going to run the other Pulitzer race in electric? You should do that. You could, you know, you could say that you've oh, entered two Pulitzers. Oh, so, that would be so Yeah. That would be kind of cool. I'm pretty excited to hear about this race. Uh, that remains to be seen. Why don't we? Why don't we sponsor an AOPA entry? That would be cool. Into the Pulitzer races. Yes, that would be very cool. We have, have to call our. We our could good get an buddy. Alpha Electro. I was going to say we should, we, should, we should call George Bay up in Denver and find out what's yeah. going on, and uh, and maybe do that. But uh, no, interesting, interesting race. I think that again, like you mentioned, that's going to spur competition. It's going to spur um, ingenuity. And we just got off this huge air venture that had a lot more ingenuity. And I think we'll obviously see a lot of that to come. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, David, I think we've talked enough this week. Let's bring on Jimmy. I think it's so cool that you guys caught up and and that you got to fly with him. So he's going to talk about one of the most interesting things they do, which is the night air show. two by two and then we'll join up on one and two yes, and get the diamond and uh, then we'll get away from the airport go out over the lake we'll do a loop wing over to barrel roll okay that's the uh, first three maneuvers we fly during the air show yep get to see what that looks like from uh, the diamond which is probably the best seat in the house because you're going to see right half be able to see the other aircraft really good oh, that's it. sounds good i'm glad to be part of it left half yeah. away. glad you could make it too get a picture how long, how long have you been flying jimmy 53 years. And where did you, did you start in Monroe with Delta? Not, not, well, no, nah, yeah, hey, just about, I'm not old. <laughs> yeah, you know the history of it then, you know about yeah, Dale and all that, so you're Atlanta boy. I do. And, uh, now I started flying when I was in high school. I was born and raised down in New Iberia. Papa Julia, right and my dad was a general aviation pilot and instructor, and I took advantage of all that. And, Went to college, majored in aviation, and, you know, the Congo line. Start, start visiting, you know, building time and all that kind of stuff, you know, trying to, I knew I wanted to fly for the airlines, and 
Got hired with uh, Northwest in March of 84, and I had a 27-year airline career, and uh, ended up retiring with Delta. And I, went, I retired early, I wanted to, and I've uh, been doing the aeroshell thing for about 10 years now. Well, the the, the flying public appreciates what you do. Right half right well, heading one zero clear for takeoff. You know, it's really a privilege to be able to go out and fly these things, and these old warbirds, and, and you know, a great bunch of guys to fly with. and. You know, get kids like I was. I mean, I, you know, I, one of my first year back was right half line of the You know, with Marion Cole and, you know, and then Steve Gustafson, the guy in the number three plane right there ahead of us, his dad, you know, encouraged me a whole bunch about, you know, flying, flying air shows. I flew with Steve's dad and it kind of neat. I flown with his dad, I flown with Steve, and I flown with his son in formation, you know. So, you know, the, the teams are really close knit, bunch of guys and, and, uh, you know, we try to promote a good, positive attitude toward young people because it's great to find a guy that 10 years ago, you know, rode with us or saw us or something, and now he's in the military or he's, you know, in the airline career. That's a pretty neat deal when you think about it. Man. That's the best way to get people involved yeah. in aviation, oh, it is. isn't it? It is. It's, it absolutely by far. So you, know, you go up and show them what it's like and explain it to them, and and you know they're they're already excited most of them, but and they get to ride with you know and do what we're going to go do here. It's really a good deal. That guy in the backseat of Steve's airplane used to work with us a lot, and uh, he's not a pilot, but he he was with Shell, and uh, so he's getting to go for the first time ever. That's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. So getting people into introducing aviation via your air shows and on, yeah. the, on the on the occasion where they can fly to you, that really makes a difference in their life. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, and and you know, the air show community is such a, I feel like a overall a positive group of people. You know what I'm saying? That mm -hmm. can do attitude and and you know, I mean, I'm nothing special as far as a pilot. You know, I just work my butt off to you know get where I'm at, and and you know, I don't mind working. You know, and you, you set a goal and you go. You know, you go for it. You know, you just don't quit. You know, you could, they couldn't get me to quit. That's the reason I'm here. So, and uh, but it's a lot of fun. I tell you that much. Well, tell me the routine we're going to do one more time here at uh, EA. Okay, well, we're going to we're going to take off and uh, one and two will take off together, then three and four. So three will be my lead aircraft on the takeoff roll, and we'll take off and then we'll make a turn to heading a 150. That's the uh, departure routing off of runway 36 at Oshkosh when you're coming off a 3-6 left. And we will proceed out over the lake. We'll climb to about 4,000 feet. And then Mark will set us up. We'll be in the diamond formation. After takeoff, you know, we'll join up and form the diamond. And then we'll be in the diamond formation for the maneuvers we're going to do. And what we're going to do is a loop followed immediately by a wing over to the right. And that turns us back around 180 degrees. Okay. And then we'll do a barrel roll to the left. And that is uh, what we do today, or tonight, when we fly the night show tonight at, at uh, Oshkosh, we'll be diving in right there on the runway on 3-6 uh, left uh, from the south, going north, and Mark will call. He'll say, here we go, and uh, smoke on now. And then when he gets ready to pull, he'll say, ready, loop, pull now. And then as he starts to put G on the airplane, you know, we're going. And then as he goes vertical, he'll call power. And what he's doing there is he's actually reducing his power to give me an advantage because I'm on the outside of the circle. I've okay. got to fly faster than them. Yes. So he's giving me a power advantage there. And then it will, he'll hold that until he starts down vertical on the backside of the loop. And then you'll hear him say, power coming in. And he'll add that power back and then pull, put some G on the airplane, recover out of the loop. And then he'll say, nose up, right turn. 
and that's setting us up for the wing over, which will give us a 180 degree turnaround. And once he gets set up there, then he'll be, say, barrel row coming up. And then the next thing he'll say is nose up and roll. And then that'll start the roll on the barrel roll. And then we'll complete that maneuver. And at the end of that, he'll, case, he'll call smoke off, climbing for the bomb burst. And then we'll be climbing out, getting ready to set up for the uh, next maneuver. How difficult is the night show versus the uh, daytime show? You know, it's, it's generally the air is smoother. It's fun to fly at night because, you know, it's not bumpy. Daytime, a lot of times it can be bumpy. The thing that we're most cautious of and we pay the most attention to is not when we're close together. We can see each other really good. You know, we get these aero lead lights on the aircraft and they're, you know, really light up the aircraft good. But when we separate and we come back together, that's where we really pay a lot of attention because your, you know, your depth perception begins to get a little different at night. And so we're real cautious about making sure that our closure rate is correct and we're not too fast or too slow, you know, as we're coming back into the formation. Once we get back together as a four-ship, I mean, you can see real good. So, so the rejoin is critical. The rejoin is what, yeah, that's the most critical portion of it. The next thing that would be most critical is sometimes at night, the darker it gets, you know, you can't see as good. So the next thing you do, you start moving closer. Well, you don't want to do that. Okay. Because, you know, the closer you get, you may realize, oh, man, I'm too close. You know, I need to back it out a little bit, you know. And and we're, we're not talking about 30 or 40 feet. We're talking about maybe two to three feet, you know, from where you normally are. So we can tell, you know, we've done it so much, you know, as far as where our position is. We pretty well know that, you know. And uh, we've got a real good sense and feeling for what looks right. Now, you know, people clap and cheer for you. Uh -huh. I know I know you can't hear it, but... Uh, can't. No, we can't. <laughs> we can't hear anything when you noise the engine. But they sure give you a, a nice round of applause as you guys drive by in a vehicle after yeah. it's over. Yeah, that's that's true. And we're very, very appreciative of our fans. I mean, you know, there, there's people that have watched us fly for... You know, Steve started the team back in uh, 1985, him and Alan Henley. And there's people that remember it way back then. So it's a, you know, it's really a unique deal to be able to fly with the team and and represent the sponsors that we have on the aircraft. You know, it's, it's a it's a fun fun deal. I'm telling you. Ready to roll. Looks All like right, here. good deal. Not gonna be long. You'll hear Earl Shell team line up. So what we'll do is we'll get up here when I get on the runway. I'll call fours ready or fours on rather. I got you. That lets Mark know that I'm ready to go when he is. Aerosol right. flight turn red, hitting 150 before the tower. Okay, so they're rolling. I'm looking at Steve over here on my left. Huh? We're going direct to York, correct? He's giving me the sign to bring the power up. Yep. Off the brakes. RV runway 36 on the right side, line of voice. Silver RV runway 36 on the left side, line of voice. RV on the right side, keep rolling. 36 right, clear for takeoff. Turn right, heading 150, pilot tower. Zero dot pop, our line of weight, running 36 on the right half. Right RV. Red RV, start to roll. Red RV, start the roll on the right half, clear for takeoff. Right turn 150 prior to the tower. Carlton, what altitude do you at? I'm at 6,500. Say it again, 55? 65. All right, I'll head on up to 55. Push it up, Mark. We're in. All right, David, here come some of your pictures if you want them. I'm going to ease up in there. All righty. Get them going. You want to 
want a side shot of all three airplanes? If you could pull out, that'd okay. be great. Mark, I'm going to go to the right side of Brian. I need a shot of the three off. Let it rip. Beautiful. Right side, Brian. Yeah. Beautiful. Got it rolling. Got it nice. good? Yeah, looking good. That's a pretty formation. Got what you need. I'm going to ease back the slot. Good. Okay. Going to slot, Mark. I'll give you the other shot, okay? okay. I got time. It's going to be quick. Steve, I'm going to your left. Got one more shot I want to get. And when I call it, I want smoke on. Nice hit there. Yep. Okay, smoke on now. Move forward, Mar uh, Brian. Move forward. Got the shot. Hang on. Get get that down here. Going. Lower. No, no, just to get him to keep it going. Okay. I got the video rolling. That's looking good. Okay, I'm going to head to the slot. Okay. Smoke off, going to slot. I'm going to let her fly just a couple of seconds here. Okay, here we go. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, all right. I want to get past the one kind of one cloud here. Hey Carlton, I got a fuel pressure issue. I'm going to be monitoring it. Smoke down. Ready. Loop. Pull down. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Power's coming in. Okay, that was the loop. Now we're in the wing over to the right. Arrow coming up. Okay, uh, William. Oh yeah, looks good. Whiskey. That's beautiful. India one. And roll. Oh man, how pretty. Oh, how beautiful. Nice. That's it, buddy. High wing, two mile left. Nice routine. Good job, sir. Thank you very Still much. Aeroshell, three mile final. Air shell runway 36 left, clear to land. 36 left, clear to land, air shell. Just touching down now, 36 right, thank you. We're high speed taxi all the way to the end, follow flight, Welcome out. Two green. Three, two green. Four, two green. Great flight, good job. Yeah. Uh, glad you got to go, David. I'm glad wing, it worked two out. Glad you had time to talk to right. me, Jimmy. Green thank square, so clear to land. All right, so tell me, was this your first ride in a T6? It wasn't my first ride in a T6. It was my ah, first it ride okay. in it, but it was my first ride in, a t in an aerobatic T6 on an aerobatic team. Oh, okay. Basically fielded a team. Dave Hirschman took me up in a T6 a while back in Atlanta, but it was a different gig. We did not have smoke coming on in the cockpit. And let me tell you, I was in the slot position with Jimmy, and so that's the back of the diamond. And I wasn't ready for all this smoke that was like pouring into the cockpit from the other three. Oh, does it come? It yeah, comes in. You it can comes, like. Well, it's a pretty drafty it, it cockpit. Is, I guess, it is, isn't and it, it come, so. came from the other three yeah. aircraft, and it was like, <laughs> you know, coughing up. <laughs> but, um, but you know, he is such a neat uh, guy, and and those folks put their heart and soul into it. You know, we did those those maneuvers. We did. Uh, we started in the diamond. We did the loop, the wing over, and the barrel roll. And it was a barrel of laughs, man. I couldn't contain myself. It was so cool. That's so cool. Uh, that's great. That's great. 
All right. I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tillis. Don't forget, you can find us at AOPI.org slash Hangar Talk and wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple or Google. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.